Uh, you're listening to Remastered, a podcast about awesome things from awesome times. I'm Jason, and I'm here with my buddy Rich from Merry Old England. Hello. And tonight we're talking about 90s fads, and that could take us into so many places. I'm, I'm pretty scared. I'm really looking forward to this. The 90s were the best decade ever. I was very, very happy. I would say probably 97 was one of the best years of my life, uh, if not 98, the year at which I would meet my future wife. I would agree with you. Well, to say that 97 was possibly the most fun year of my life. I thought I, you were agreeing that 98 was the best year because that's when I met my future wife. I Also, yes. Whatever you say. Yes. I don't know what you've done in other years. You know, you might have. It's the one you're supposed to say. Oh, but you've had a child now. Surely that's supposed to be the best year. It hasn't been a bad year. I, I'm telling you, I, I'm having an awful lot of fun with that little ball of pus. But then again, I suppose technically meeting your wife really trumps the kid. Because without that, there isn't the other. Well, we could debate on whether yeah. it's okay to love your wife or love your kid more. But that's not really germane to the podcast. Yeah, okay. I didn't <laughs> know whether it was okay or not. I mean, that was far <laughs> deeper than I wanted to go into there. Never mind. Let's move on. The 90s. An overview of the 90s. This was my favorite decade. Really was. Because I was born in 79 and... So for the 90s were my teenage years and first sort of adult years as well. I went, to, I went to uni for the first time in the 90s. I started drinking. I learned to drive in that order um, and many other things. I discovered yeah. girls. I, I was, let's see, I was born in eighty. And I can say that the drinking preceded driving for me as well, because I started drinking in about 96 out with friends, and then around about 97 is when I got my license. So that's sad, isn't it? I don't, I don't know. I think it's just what happens. I don't know. When, when are you guys allowed to learn to drive? Is it, it varies from state to state. Right. Um, some states you can drive at 14 because, you know, then you can help out on the farm driving the pickup truck around. Yeah. Your, your breadbasket states in the middle of Iowa, all those. But uh, New York is where I grew up, and you could get a learner's permit at 16. Right. We had to be 17. It might be 18 now. I don't know. I think it's 17. Probably is. It's not fair if they put it up. I'd have been gutted about that. I couldn't learn to drive quick enough. I just couldn't. I have places to go and people to see. I, I know. I, I needed that wheel too. Exactly. It's it's the best thing ever, is that. So where where do we start with the 90s? Because it's... Do we take it year by year or... Oh, I'm not prepared by, to do year by year. No, I that's, didn't it up that way. Yeah, no. that's pretty complicated, that, isn't it? I um, I thought that we'd be a little bit too all over the place to to go year by year. That would that sounds too organized, Rich. Well, seeing as I've got this web page open, can we start with some music? Oh yeah, that's that's a, that's a big thing. And can we start with Vanilla Ice? Because that's like ninety, right on the edge. That's on the cusp. It is a bit, isn't it? Yeah, Vanilla Ice. He was not that big over here. I'm aware of him. He had that song, and then the one from Turtles. But, the Ninja Rap. Yeah. And and then that's it. That's my knowledge of Vanilla Ice. He wasn't really that big over here either, but between him and the Beastie Boys, that was like, hey, white guys are allowed to like rap now. Yeah, he was kind of a one-hit wonder novelty act. Oh, very, our, very much so, yeah. 
Yeah, not much, not much to him, as he's proven by his appearance on numerous reality television shows uh, over the last couple of years. But like I said, it was kind of like the starting whistle for white guys being able to, it, it, well, at, at that point, maybe not so much do rap because it was kind of a joke that Vanilla Ice was doing it. But that's when I remember, you know, black friends at school being like, hey, do you like rap? So you, you wouldn't have gotten wham rap in the 80s from George Michael? I don't think that that can be considered rap by any stretch of the imagination. It's, no more so than Blondie. It's called wham rap. It's, of course it's a rap. It's called rap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised he wasn't shot for that, actually. Um, you know, that I would have understood. I'm not saying I would have condoned it, but I would have understood. You stop that now. But I have here in front of me, this is the top 100 singles of the 90s, according to MTV UK. And there's some of these that will make our UK listeners groan. And others that, and and yeah, I'm ama- I'm I'm wondering which of these you will just have no idea what they are. You know, what? I'm I'm kind of excited about this, and in all honesty, Rich, I'm ready to just chuck all the notes that I had out the window and say screw all the stuff that I wanted to talk about, and just have you read down that list because it sounds like a lot of fun. Well, I'll pick. I'm gonna try and pick some key ones because there's some. You see, here's a couple of things like. There's a couple of Britney Spears songs and a couple of Christina Aguilera songs, and you'll know what they are. You know, you know what "Genie in a Bottle" by Christina Aguilera is. You've heard that, I would imagine. I remember the first time I saw that video. Yeah, I was inappropriately aroused because she couldn't have been more more than what fifteen. I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel that it would have been bad at the time. Like if you watch it now and you're aroused, you might be on shaky ground. But in the year it came out, I think you might have been all right. That couldn't have, let's see, 99? I don't know Does when it, it say? came out. Oh, no listing next to it. I think, okay, if no I, I think if I click on it, it might start playing me the video. Um, where, I've lost it now. Where is it? There it is. It is going to play me the video and not tell me anything about the song. Thank you, MTV. That's worth it. Um, there we go. But there she is on the beach in her little shorts. So, okay. So there's obvious ones. How did uh, Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Adams do in America? Um, I don't know how it did in America, but I grew up really, really close to the Canadian border from whence Brian Adams comes. Yes. I can tell you it was very huge on Canadian radio. Because it was number one for something like a year here. It was, it was obscene. It wouldn't go away. He was on top of the pops every week singing that damn song. It was horrid. And he, he, he just stayed there. So there's other obvious ones like I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion, that sort of thing. Did you guys, you didn't get the Spice Girls, did you? Or did we you? did. Yeah, they had a couple of singles out here and they were huge. I mean, it was, uh, it was almost Beatlemania among 16 and 17 year old girls at that time. Really? I had no idea. I thought they just went nowhere in America. No, it was it was a, a brief flare-up and then a quick fade-out. Right. We had them pretty much for the whole decade, which got a bit tired after a while. Um, what else is on this list? There's obvious ones you won't have gotten, like Robson and Jerome. You'll never have heard of Robson and Jerome. No, not a chance. They were bad here. They were people who got big after... Be- sing- they did a- there was a long-running drama series here called Soldier, Soldier. 
and they played two soldiers and on one episode they sang a song so simon cowell at the time thought it would be a great idea if he released that as a single and he did and it was huge and they were more famous than they should have been for you know it would have been really meta if they had uh, started singing toy soldiers yes i don't get that one i'm afraid why is that what they're on a show called soldier soldier if they had sung the song toy soldiers forget it okay Edit sorry. That out, I'm, I'm a bit slow i'm sorry um so what do we have so number one the number one uk single in the uk in the 90s was i'm gonna guess it is a george michael song do you know you're not a million miles away it's not george michael but you do you know what that's as close as you could get and not get it right because i do remember hearing at one point that uk radio had voted george michael the most popular singer of the decade i don't know anything about that one he's he's always reasonably popular he seems to get away with a lot. Right now, these days, he likes to take a lot of drugs and drive his car into things while he's asleep. And uh, he seems to get away with this in the press. It's like, oh, it's just George again. Yeah, he does that, you know. Um, so he's always been quite popular. I don't know if he's everybody's favorite singer of any decade, but... Would you say that he's generally well-liked, or is he yeah. just well-tolerated? No, he's, he's, he's well-liked. He's, he's a, you know... See, because sadly, America turned its back on George Michael when they all found out, shock, gasp, that he was gay. Yeah, you watch the Wham! stuff and you tell me that's not a big gay man <laughs> dancing around up there. <laughs> Come on, though. In the 80s, any manly man that you looked at could easily be mistaken for being gay. How do you think that Freddie Mercury slid under the radar for so very long? I know, but George Michael was just so very gay. He really <laughs> was. And, I, you know, it was... I think. I, did feel that the attitude over here when he came out was just one of really oh no no we're stunned George I am stunned but over here it was backlash because that was the height of uh, the, the resurgence of homophobia you know Ellen DeGeneres lost her show because she came out of the closet Rosie O'Donnell was battling the allegations that she was gay and I still haven't figured out whether she is or not um, any celebrity who tried to come out Melissa Etheridge um, they all suffered public scorn, and it was a very, very sad time, and thankfully that's starting to shift gears now. Right, so was Elton John affected by that? Because that's who had the most popular song of the 90s. Ah, see, uh, you see what I, I mean? I'm in a position to talk about Elton John, because I've always loved Elton John. And regardless of whether or not he's gay, I think Elton John kind of always had a little bit of a weird thing about him in America. Yeah. He, he, you know how Celine Dion, uh, you know every, everybody hates her because of the Titanic song. Mm-hmm. Elton John kind of had the same backlash thing going against him. Oh, what was the song? Yeah, you know, uh, Rocket Man was on the radio so much. Uh, uh, all the hits, really. I mean, anything that you can name: Crocodile Rock, uh, Golden Brick Road, or Jesus. What the hell was that song called? Whatever. Right. Yellow Brick Road. Well, over but, here, uh, you see, he, he, re- he re-released Candle in the Wind because this was the thing. It was when Princess Diana died and they rewrote the lyrics for Candle in the Wind to be about her and he sang right. it at the funeral. And that, that was, was huge here as well. That was just enormous. That was So that was like the biggest selling single here. People were going into shops and buying many copies of it and stuff probably, like that. Probably one of the three Elton John songs I cannot stand. 
I the the rewording of it I've got no time for as a song in its own right. I understand if you want to sing a song about your friend who's died, fair enough, that's that's fine. But as a standalone song, Candle in the Wind's okay. It's not one of his better ones. Um, but but over here there was a lot of insulation for Elton John against the homosexuality thing because he was so very popularized in family friendly circles with the whole Lion King soundtrack deal. He he's even been on the Muppets for God's sake. Oh man, that that his appearance on the Muppets is incredible. The old Muppet Show you're talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, the proper Muppet Show. That is a banging live performance. Absolutely, I have that one on DVD. It's it's brilliant. Um, it's definitely not on YouTube if you want to look it up. It's not there. No, no, I would never encourage people to go and watch it there. Right now, the next one, I I think you might have heard this. But Alison reckons no, this is is this is crap Europop because this isn't even English, right? Barbie Girl by Aqua. Yeah, uh, Scandinavian group. Yeah, it was another novelty song here in the nineties. Uh, uh, let's see, senior year of high school, I think ninety eight. It would have been. Yeah, some the same kind of thing here. Um, Believe by Cher is number three. I thought that was two thousands, but apparently not. No, that was very, very firmly um, rooted in the the club scene of the late '90s. Yeah, you know the whole thing. That was a a pop conversion of that that styling. Right. Then we have Perfect Day, which was a that was actually a charity cover here. I bet you guys wouldn't have gotten that at all. No, I haven't heard of that. That was a very everyone sang a line. Did you say Perfect Day? Perfect Day. It's a Lou Reed song, but yeah, it's Velvet Underground. I I, I know the original. Yeah, it was. They redid it as a charity single. It was quite maudling and depressing, actually, because uh, it is as a song. I hate it as a song, actually. I've, oh, I really like that song, but I, I, I'm not sure how I would feel about a remake. Right. Then we. It's have, one of those songs that's only perfect in Lou Reed's whiny little voice. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, following that up, we have then it's Brian Adams and Britney Spears, then Robson, Jerome, Puff Daddy, and Faith Evans. I'll be missing you. Then Whitney Houston, Celine Dion. Love is All Around by Wet, Wet, Wet. That was yeah. number one for my <laughs> teenage years. Always. Just, um, I, I think that that one competed a lot with um, uh, More Than Words by Extreme. Th- those were like two peas in a pod. They would be played a lot back-to-back on radio here. Was it from um, Four Weddings and a Funeral? It was, wasn't it? That was, that uh, was the song. Very well might have been. Yeah, because they tried to replicate it with other uh, films by that. Uh, God, what's his name? That with other Richard Curtis films, they'd always have a, a song that women could sing along with it, and uh, it never quite worked as well as that one. And then it's sort of more sort of All Saints. I bet did you hear, ever hear of All Saints? Another girl band? No, not, no. not at all. Then we have the Spice Girls. Steps. I bet you didn't get Steps. And that's nope. no. They were huge here. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. But huge here. Boyzone. You probably didn't get them, no matter how, what. How many of these that you're telling me about, Rich, are just Spice Girls clones? Well, most of them. Um, All Saints were kind of a different Spice Girls. Boyzone were a different Take That, but I bet you didn't get Take That. Or you we, might we have done a little take bit. That. Uh, Back for Good? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a popular one. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody sneaks in there. I think that was a lot to do with Wayne's World. Yeah, that was everywhere when Wayne's World come in, came out, and that was, what, 92, 93, somewhere in there? Yeah. And it was funny because 
nobody knew that song in my generation at least we were all like hey what's this awesome new song <laughs> now we had the same thing i i remember god what was it the year nine geography field trip every morning that got put on in the dormitory that was the that was the stuff god that was a horrible trip um there is actually a lot of stuff you remember here men in black by will smith Various other Celine Dion ones. Oh my God, the Millennium uh, Millennium Prayer by Cliff Richard. Are you at all familiar with the phenomenon known as Cliff Richard? No, tell me about Cliff Richard. Well, if if England had an Elvis, it was Cliff Richard, right? They started at pretty much the same time. Cliff Richard is famous for now being very, very, very old. And still working. He's he's had like a, a number one hit in the last five decades or something like that. And his fan base has never... He's never really seemed to have gotten a new fan base since the 50s. They've just aged w- with him. Um, and he, he has this reputation that it's very strange. He is a sort of... He's known as the bachelor boy. Because although he's like 75, 80 years old, he's never had a girlfriend and Alison thinks that means he's gay, but he's not. He's a bachelor it, boy. <laughs> a bachelor boy implies that he's out bacheloring, though. Yeah, it does, it's, doesn't it? And he, it's he, very odd that he's not using his fame or using his money to, to to lure in the ladies. Well, he's very close to God as well. This is this is uh, also something. He, you know, we had one of those too. Yeah, his name was Clay Aiken. Right. And I think you know how that turned out. Not well. Well, I, I don't think it can be put in terms of, of good or bad, but uh, very, very much homosexual. All right. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's the case with Cliff Richard as well. But he's he's no, he's a very nice guy and all of that, but very old. Mums like him, but no, no, sort of older mums, maybe even older than my mum, perhaps uh, like him. And that sort of thing. It's, this, it's very this list, strange. This list that you're reading down, Rich, yeah. is it selected mainly from pop? I mean, is it like a, a restricted thing? Is this like only pop radio songs? I have no idea. It's it's the official... It's on, there's a link on the uh, Google Doc. It's the last one at the bottom. I've put it right at the bottom. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm just wondering because I'm thinking there's a lot of things that are missing from American radio. And I've got the VH1 top 100 songs of the 90s for the US up. Okay. Hit me with a couple. And, well, number one, Nirvana smells like teen spirit. I mean, Was that not a big thing in the UK? Might the, have the been. Yeah, we kind of, we got grunge for an afternoon uh, and then moved on to something else. I think if anything got through, it would have been that. I'm just trying to... I'll do a search and see if Nirvana are even on this. No, they're not even on this page. And the thing that probably I'm most surprised about is that a UK band, the UK band, the big UK band, U2, hasn't appeared on your list yet. No, they're not on this list either. What song is on there? Uh, Number two on on our list is one. Don't know no one love no wow don't know it so are are you telling me then that you two are bigger in the u.s than they are in the uk oh god yeah yeah absolutely wow 
I never would have suspected that. Yeah. I but, thought that you would be holding them up in, as like the banner band. Like, hey, this is who we are. We're the UK. We have you too. Well, Suck it, America. Well, no, they're Irish. So, oh, yeah, so, so you, you, they're like your bastard stepchildren. A little bit. <laughs> I don't know. They're, 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 not, they're not English. They're Irish. So, yeah, they're nothing to do with us. If you go to Ireland, they're banging on about them all the time. But over here, they're, they're okay. They've been around for decades, and they're sort of everybody's third or fourth favorite band. But if they bring something out, it will do well, but they're, never, they're not like, oh, my God, it's the new single from U2. And they never have been, as far as I'm aware. Not here. So from there, our list goes Backstreet Boys, Whitney Houston, and Madonna. Right. Madonna's then, not on here either. And then number six, let's see if it ranks on your list. I have a feeling it will. Sir Mix-A-Lot, Baby Got Back? Nope. No? Oh, that's so much fun. I, I know it. I know it well. It's probably on my phone right now, but it's not on this list. Not at uh, all. Seven is Britney Spears. Eight is TLC. Did the did the UK not have the wonder that is TLC? No, I've seen this on this list. Let me try and find that because there were, it was probably no scrubs. I would imagine. Uh, waterfalls. Waterfalls. I wasn't a TLC fan at all. Nor was I in particular, but they they were culturally important. We have no scrubs at number ninety three on this list. That's it. Let's see if that one ranks here. No, no scrubs doesn't even make this list. Right, that's all we've got. Um, yeah, they they were they were, they had a couple of hits here, but I I don't know that they were ever that big. Not my kind of thing. You see, the '90s was when we we invented our own music again, and Britain became awesome for about five or six years. What do you mean invented your own music again? America thrived on the British invasion of the 60s and the 70s and, and the 80s. Oh, yeah. But in the 90s, it got really good because then we invented Britpop. <laughs> oh, because the kinks weren't really good. Oh, well, no, they were okay. But it Okay. The, yeah. You see, because you guys, you got your grunge, you got your Nirvana, your Green Day, that sort of thing. But we had Britpop. We had Blur and Oasis and Pulp and various other things. Let me find you an article on Britpop. Now, see, Pulp and Blur, those didn't really make a huge splash. They've got some of my favorite songs of the 90s, don't get me wrong. But uh, in popular music, they weren't huge in the U.S. Oasis now, Oasis was like the second coming of the Beatles. Or that's what American radio would have you believe. Oh, right. I've just sent you a link in uh, on Skype to the Wikipedia Britpop page. This was this was just huge. All music was English music. There was no room for American bands to get into our charts at all with this stuff. It was and we kind of started in the early 90s with the Manchester stuff as well, which was awesome because then we we oh yeah, right. So it was kind of in the early 90s when we had the Hacienda nightclub when they started twigging onto the fact that you could have just DJs playing in a nightclub without bands playing and people would still turn up and dance. And um, that sort of led to this, the factory record stuff, all this uh, Happy Mondays, Stone Roses, kind of grungy stuff where you take a load of ecstasy and jump up and down in the same place and go mad in the warehouse all night. It was brilliant stuff. And then that led on to sort of super bands like Pulp and Oasis and, Supergrass. 
So it's the kind of stuff you would listen to while you were uh, mixing a lager drink and mixing a cider drink and mixing a whiskey drink. No, that it's not because the uh, the Chumbawamba was horrid, <laughs> horrid stuff. <laughs> See, that came out. That came out the summer of the year that I first went to university, and that song was bloody everywhere. I ju- I just hated that. It was horrible. But everybody had a little dance and everybody got down and then back up again <laughs> and that sort of thing. I was shit-faced for most of those years, to be perfectly honest. I uh, drank a lot then. I am looking at this Wikipedia page and seeing a whole lot of names that mean absolutely nothing to me, but only one band name that means, uh, well, everything. The Smiths. The Smiths were pretty big here. Were they really? Well, yeah, the Smiths were as big as any indie band is going to be. Yeah, fair enough. They were they, they were quite big here. And they, so, where's the top ranking Smith song or or Morrissey song, whichever, on your list? Well, they weren't so big in, but you know, the 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 when they were big, it was still niche stuff. The sort of the early the first half of the nineties, the there was still a lot of I don't know. It was it was almost as if the music scene was still trying to find its feet for the 90s. There was still a lot of American stuff coming in and various things. And it was sort of the mid-90s that the Britpop stuff took off. And so with the Smiths, I'd say were more of a forerunner to what you'd call Britpop. And so they were kind of in the, the building up of it. And so consequently would not appear on a list like this. Because there would have been acts that sold far more singles later. So they're kind of looked upon as a kind of um, a very big, important historical influence. And maybe people who are sort of five, six years older than you and I would feel a lot more towards the Smiths, people like Alison and that sort of thing. But no, they were never that big for me. Huh. Um, My opinions, too, are probably going to get mail saying, hey, the Smiths were never big here. But a lot of my opinions are formed by listening, like I said, to Canadian radio. And it seems like Canada being for so very long a, an official um, British state or British Commonwealth or however that works, subject to the Queen. We'll just leave it there. They do what um, we say. Right. Yeah. And they, they um, adopt your culture much more readily than America does. Than Merca. Yeah. <laughs> so, so who else is on your list there? I'm curious. God, Hansen's on there. That must yeah, have Hansen's- irritated people all around the world. Hans is 20 on this one, too, so there's something wrong at VH1, either way you split it. Yeah. You see, you would even think that on VH1 they'd be lower down, because isn't VH1 supposed to be grown-up music? It was definitely the, um, the, the, the more mature alternative to MTV. Mind you, MTV was supposed to be music, and it's not even that anymore, so... Music was on MTV, though, um, well into probably 2001, 2002, before it was completely phased out. Do you know what that actually what is a nice sideline kind of a little bit away from music and into TV would be Beavis and Butthead because that stuff was awesome. They were huge in the 90s. Um they they were huge, they were really big, but I wasn't allowed to watch it. It was late night viewing here. You had to <laughs> really look for it. This was where the first getting a TV in my bedroom came into its own. This sort of thing. Yeah, see, uh, King Follower in the chat room here, uh, as we're recording, he and I were talking right before the show about uh, growing up in a conservative household. It's something that we both did. 
Uh, my parents clamped down quite a bit on MTV. It, it, just like many conservative evangelicals in the United States, MTV was the devil's channel. Really? We're still in that whole Buddy Holly, you know, rock and roll is is evil kind of thing. We've never had anything like this, you know. There's, well. <laughs> there's just nothing. Welcome to backward America where the, there's there's church cults who, who try to control entertainment. Right. And I'm not sure how much you want to get into this because I, I have the potential to be very negative about it. But, it's, so. it's not something I'd be particularly positive about either, but... Yeah, we just I'm just saying really, we there's been nothing like that ever. Maybe we'll find some stuff. The thing that tends to outrage people here is when people get hurt copying it. Stupid stuff like that. I'll go See, into that. That, that later. makes a splash here, but at the same time, people in America do so many stupid things that I I mean, you you can't you can't outlaw Looney Tunes because someone might take a sledgehammer to someone else, you know? Oh, yeah. We we had a very famous advertising campaign run here for a drink called Tango, which was basically just orange pop. And it was the, the premise of this ad. This is a 90s phenomenon anyway. Uh, the premise of this ad was you'd see a guy on the street, he'd drink the drink, and then this guy appeared from nowhere and slapped him on both sides of his face and ran off. The idea for the ad, the ad being... You know, that's what it feels like drinking the flavor of this drink. Bloody blah, blah. And so this resulted in serial slappings on the yeah, street? Yeah, many, many kids in playgrounds slap, running up to each other and <laughs> slapping each other on both sides of the face. And in many, in some extreme cases, perforated eardrums <laughs> and that sort of thing. So there was just unbelievable outcry about this. And so that was just pulled. Just can't show that. That's something that I would have done. I, I was a little shit. I'm not afraid <laughs> to admit it. <laughs> I wasn't big enough to get away with being that kind of a little shit at school. I'd have gotten nailed if I'd have tried that sort of thing. <laughs> but at least I was bright enough to know that's what would have happened. Oh, well. Um, so no Radiohead on your list yet? Do you know there's actually no Radiohead on that list? That is a... There must be a better list than this, because there should be Radiohead on this list. Radiohead makes VH1's list. Top 100 singles of the 90s UK. Let's search for that. We've got Creep at number 31, which is one of my favorite songs. And honestly, were I making the list myself, Paranoid Android would have ranked much, much higher than 31. I'm just looking for a... Oh, hang on. Have I found the same list as you, VH1? No, that's an article about the list you're looking at. That's no good. I've got the VH1 blog list, which is a transcription of the top um, 100 songs of the 90s special on the on the show. Oh, here we go. I've got something here. No, ignore that. I'll just go back to my other list, or I'll be just searching <laughs> forever for various things. Um... Radiohead were huge here. Um, a lot of people argued that OK Computer was the best album of all time. Uh, which upset a lot of Beatles fans, saying, what about Sgt. Pepper? And there was, seriously, there's debate as to, still, as to whether OK Computer is a better album than Sgt. Pepper. See, I've got a Rolling Stone book that counts down the top 100 albums. And it's, of course, all extremely subjective as these things are, but... Um, OK Computer is the only, what I would say, is a modern record that fits in with the rest. 
I mean, the rest is all Rolling Stones and Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and, you know, very, very much 70s, early 80s type albums. It's but Radiohead of, ranks in there. It's one of those tricky things when you make lists like that, because people always, if you do too many recent things, people accuse you of not remembering the good old stuff. You have to get that balance just right. And it's because it's so subjective, it's just difficult. To, I'd rather see something just ranked on single sales. Or something like that. Something that isn't subjective. Even that's not fair because as years go on, the the supply increases and the number of distributors increases, and technology makes things much more readily available. Yeah, I mean, you can't compare uh, Blueberry. Uh, what is it? Um, Johnny Be Good. Something like that to the distribution methods that uh, Nirvana had with Nevermind. Exactly. I suppose. Yeah. When you look at things like Genie in a Bottle with Christina Aguilera, the idea that we heard of her at all is you know quite something the idea of god the in actual fact the idea of getting out an artist and making them popular around the world in days before there were such things as itunes and ipods it's quite a daunting thing to think about actually although there were plenty of people who did it i suppose yeah it it reminds me of that um the, the part of oh brother where art thou where the soggy bottom boys become famous such an improbable thing to happen from the sticks Exactly. Yes, we just need to play them on this little radio station that plays to seven <laughs> people and they'll be famous. Yeah. So what was what was big in TV? I bet our TV was much more similar because I, I bet we got a lot more of your television. Well, um, TV, I mean, there was such a wide spectrum and we talked last week about TGIF. That was huge in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, all those family safe sitcoms like Family Matters and Perfect Strangers and Full House. Um, but I asked Lisa, my, my wife, what pop culture thing from the 90s she valued most. And her answer was really kind of surprisingly revealing. Um, I think a lot more people would agree with her than you would think, too. She said Saved by the Bell was like her formative TV experience as an, a, a tween. It, the, you know, there was no Twilight around. That, Saved by the Bell was filling that void. Yeah, I watched a lot of Saved by the Bell. I watched a lot of that show. More than I care to remember. Isn't it funny how every generation seems to have their happy days? Well, the thing is, I also watched Happy Days. It was a, So did I. It was, it was always playing on TBS, but it was like Saved by the Bell was kind of the happy days of the early 90s. Yeah. And then you move on into the 2000s or the end of the 90s and early 2000s, and you've got that 70s show filling that same yeah. blank space. That that group of teenage kids facing the same problems that you face, only they're much better looking than you are. <laughs> Most of the 90s, I grew up thinking, I need to go to high school in America because it just sucks here. <laughs> well, also, you, you really want to um, be in class with a 24-year-old model. Exactly. Because that's how casting always worked. 90210 was, was a lie. I'm not sure if you figured that out. Oh, I figured that out. And you see all this eventually led onto Michael Bay films. And that's just ridiculous. <laughs> You're just watching the beginning of Transformers 2 thinking, that's not like my university. That's not like my university at all. 902 and 0 was another one I wasn't really allowed to watch, though. I never tried to watch that. It was too... Do you know what? It was too American. I think huh. it was just too, too detached. 
there's there was just for me there was no reason to watch that show whatsoever what about it would you identify specifically as being american that, that they were obsessed with class the the whole thing just the whole phenomenon of beverly hills 90210 everything related to it uh the fashions the the styling of it all the subject matters all of it just all of it they were too pretty doing too many things that nobody here did and so it was just so irrelevant to me i n- never watched an episode of it at all <laughs> if at most i w- may have watched it to look at the girls in it but that would have been it and by the same pr- you know looking at this wikipedia page dawson's creek as well would have had the same problem dawson's creek was a little bit too late for me to care about that kind of thing yeah uh it's just Two bright white teeth and shoulder pad and hair jelly for my liking. Beverly Hills 90210. Just too much. And honestly, there's just nothing. There is no equivalent of Beverly Hills in this country. There's just, there's nothing like that. And there's no equivalent of the kids in Beverly Hills 90210. Now here's a long shot, but Kevin, my co-host from over at ATW9K, would be remiss if I didn't ask along the same lines of 90210, was a little bit more innocent. Did you ever see Degrassi? I saw that. The Yeah. I have very vague memories of it from being quite little. So I assumed it was actually an early 80s kind of thing. And didn't it come back? Well, it ran for a very long time and oh, came right. back. I'm not sure which one. It wasn't popular in my area, and I'll admit I never saw it. But so many friends of mine from the U.S., not from Canada, say that they watched a lot of Degrassi. So I wasn't sure exactly where it originated. Uh, I've heard of it. I've definitely seen it. I particularly remember one scene in it, which was a scene about a girl being depressed that she was fat, but she lived in a convenience store. And it showed her getting home from school and eating 19 chocolate bars in a kind of, well, that's why you're fat then kind of scene. Um but that's it. That's the extent of my memory about that program. It's quite bizarre. Kip in the chat room is identifying with it. He says he used to watch a lot of Degrassi, The Next Generation, which I can only assume was about Captain Picard and Riker going to high school. Yeah, I think that's what it is. That would be awesome, wouldn't you? So watch that with a big grin on your face. <laughs> I'd watch that right now. As I a matter would. of fact, we should pitch that. Yeah. That or Rise of Nights. One of them's got to sell. I think Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan Frakes would be up for it. Definitely. That's how we should do it. We need to write to him. He could be the principal. Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. The the Mr. Belding yeah. character. Oh, that would just be fantastic. That's got me all excited now. <laughs> um, but South Park started in the 90s. Family Guy started in the 90s. See, this is why the 90s were the best decade ever. We just had so many cool things. The X-Files started in the 90s. Friends... I'm guessing, though, that you didn't get a lot of the shows that Americans would identify as being 90s shows. Well, hit me up with a few. Did you have Nickelodeon at all? We did. Okay, so you're down with the Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. And Doug and Salute Your Shorts and The Adventures of Pete and Pete and Clarissa Explains It All with Melissa Joan Hart. Absolutely. Double Dare, those were the good shows. That's like, ask any kid, or well, at this point, ask any adult who is, uh, you know, 26 to 35, and and they're going to start naming off those shows and having little 
uh, flashbacks. I'd have been familiar with them. They weren't as big over here as they will have been uh, over there because Nickelodeon was a satellite channel and very few people had it. Um, so just based on that, it wouldn't have been as popular. But I'm very familiar with all those things, especially Clarissa explains it all. A I lot of my 90s crush. television viewing was driven hormonally for me. <laughs> oh, very much so. Yeah, and Melissa Joan Hart before she got ugly was was a pretty big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Missy. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah. I don't st- mean to be completely superficial there, but she, she did not age well. <laughs> do you think? I, th- I thought she didn't do too badly. No. She kind of dis. Is she still doing anything? These days? Uh, she has an ABC Family Channel show with Joey Lawrence. Oh, right. Okay. So, Joey Lawrence. Right? My God. Yes. Hey. Ah. Or whatever. What was his catchphrase? Not hey. I don't know. It, <laughs> it was some greaser phrase like that. But Yeah. Joey Fun Lawrence goodness. would not have shown up for me. And it, what else? What else would you have as big 90s TV then? Uh, well, I was obsessed, as you will, <laughs> with cartoons. <laughs> Right. Especially, especially the Disney cartoons that were on in the afternoon. You've got your uh, your your gummy bears and your Ducktales and your Chippendales Rescue Rangers. Yeah, I used to love those things. They were Saturday mornings here or Sunday mornings when we had the Disney Channel, which was actually a TV show. How's that for weirdness? You probably <laughs> had the Disney Channel, didn't you, as a channel? Uh, well, I begged my parents for it, but it so that we could see Carrie Russell as a Mouseketeer. And it, it was a thing, though. The Disney Channel <laughs> right. was a, a TV channel. It, it was a separate premium channel that was pretty costly. And uh, it, it's now kind of considered almost basic cable. But back in the day, it was a it was a premium thing. It was a nouveau riche thing. I mean, if you if you had it, you were well to do. Right. Well, we only had four channels. So the Disney Channel was sort of an hour and a half on Sunday mornings on ITV. That's and they called it the Disney Channel. And that's when you get things like Chippendale Rescue Rangers and Tailspin and various other things. Those things were all co-opted into Sunday uh sorry, Saturday mornings here too. But there was a block um a come home from school, put your backpack on the couch and settle down in front of the TV block where those things were playing. It was a, a, a two-hour block in the afternoons. And there was also, let's see, I'm breaking my mind here, um, Darkwing Duck and Tailspin. And there were Lion King and Aladdin spinoffs eventually. Oh, yeah, I remember those. But all generally pretty good TV. Um, they've disappeared from the airwaves. The, the, there's no reruns of those. It, yeah, that's that's true. I wonder why that is. Well, Disney clamps down on their copyright. They they put everything into the vault. They they don't really do a whole lot of licensing. Right. Still, I wouldn't. I, I thought they'd rerun stuff, but maybe. you'd think that with as lucrative as it would be that they would do that. But no, they. I mean, Disney has probably four different channels now of different programming blocks that they do, and one of them you can watch all the old cartoons on Toon Toon Disney. I think it's called. I should look what we've got here because we do pay for it actually but i never look what's on it it's up at the top in the high numbers past all the movies so i never (laughs) i never bother to look it up um we had some really iconic tv here in the 90s i mean the thing that comes to mind for me is men behaving badly which was just that was huge but towards the end see i had 
well, we had this thing, will have had this thing where you go from being a teenager to being a young adult. And so my tastes of things changed a lot throughout the 90s. Well, in the 90s, you started off with Mighty Ducks, and by the end of the decade, you were into Pulp Fiction. So, yeah, I mean, there's a wide swing from, exactly. from end to end. Yeah. See, and that's when all the music came in for me as well towards the end. Because uh, for the first part of it, it was it was quite childlike for me, I suppose. Me as well. I have always really been obsessed with 50s and 60s and early 70s music, and I didn't really start getting into some of the, the harder stuff until it was almost passe already. Yeah. Uh, mainly, again, because of the conservative evangelical household type thing where my dad didn't want us listening to the secular music. The secular <laughs> listen- music. Right? right. He had to listen to the Christian music unless it was the secular music that he liked, i.e. Earth, Wind & Fire, Sticks, or Barry Manilow. Right. It can be, well, that Barry Manilow, though, you know. Wow. He's a sexy, sexy man. He is. He is indeed. With that. Don't make me his. break into the Copacabana, Rich. I could do it with you, though. That's the problem. And it's, <laughs> it's late here. There are people asleep, so I shouldn't. Um, I'm going to drag us off in a different direction here because uh, I'm looking at the Best Picture Academy Award winners of the 90s. And now, again, Forrest Gump won. Is that right? Yeah, it did in 1994. Because I would identify that even over um, Shawshank as the best movie of the 90s. Do you know, I think it's... Hmm. That's an interesting little uh, argument there. Is Forrest Gump or Shawshank the best film of the 90s? I will go with you on this one because I think it's more of an emotional roller coaster than Shawshank is. However, I, Shawshank I is a, a perfect film. Shawshank is a perfect film. I think that they both are, but the reason why I lean toward Forrest Gump is because there's the added thing of the, the historical context, and I really, I just love how it weaves that thread through two or three different decades. And without Forrest Gump, we'd never have had Trials and Tribulations on Deep Space Nine. So, <laughs> you know, a lot came out of that film. And Captain Dan with his legs and everything. I'd love that film. Oh, it, yeah. It was revolutionary it, as far as that green screen use. One of the things I discovered that upset me the most throughout doing all of movies you should see was that there are people in the world who don't like Forrest Gump. I think it's an act. I think that the people who don't like Forrest Gump don't like Forrest Gump because of schadenfreude. They, they, they see so many other people enjoying it. They say, hey, I'm going to be cool by rejecting something that people like. I think that's a reasonable explanation. I really do, because it's just such a lovely film. There's nothing unlikable about Forrest Gump. No. But the 90s started with Dances with Wolves, which is... Another one of my favorites. It's an awesome film. It's certainly some of Kevin Costner's best work. Well, he didn't have to try to have an accent of any sort. No, that's true. Uh, That was followed up by Silence of the Lambs, which is another awesome movie. Then Unforgiven, which is a, a movie... (laughs) <laughs> and I don't like Unforgiven. I was never oh, a fan of Unforgiven. Oh. I did feel that that's a kind of let's give Clint Eastwood an Oscar kind of an Oscar more than anything else. Maybe no, that's which, a bit harsh of me. Which year was Unforgiven? 92. See, I I couldn't place it. I couldn't remember because I was definitely not of an age in 92 to see Unforgiven. No, me I neither. saw it much later. 
But had I had my guess, I would say that the Academy was getting darker every year. The movies were getting more gritty. Well, 93 was Schindler's List. So Okay, so it's actually working in the reverse. <laughs> uh, there goes my hunch. Well, I don't know. I was I was actually I thought that backed it up because I would imagine that Schindler's List is pretty much one of the darkest Oscar-winning films you could ever hope to watch. I thought it was getting darker as the decade went on though. So it, it well, seems yeah, like it was Schindler's starting List off is... pretty damn bad in the early 90s and working toward a little bit lighter fare with Forrest Gump. Yeah, that's that's the kind of peak after that. Because then we go with Braveheart, which was okay. He's put a lot of work into it. Let's give him an Oscar. Not a good movie. Not a good movie. I Do you know what? I enjoyed it at the time, but watching it again recently, I didn't enjoy it at all. Then it was The English Patient, which I still have not seen and never will. Nor I. Then Titanic, which... <sighs> that, that, was, that hurt. Actually. I'm going to... I tell you, Rich, I'm just hoping to escape Titanic 3D unscathed because my wife loves that movie and I refuse. I will not see it. I will not pay money to see that movie. They had to reissue it here with an apology at the end. Quite For... seriously. Because there was a, a moment where one of the, the crew of the Titanic, uh, as everyone is getting into the lifeboats, he panics and shoots someone. I actually have worked with the guy who played that role. His name's Johnny. He's a very nice man. Very good actor. But he, he's the, the guy on the crew. And the, the people rush the lifeboat. And he shoots someone. And then panics about what he's done. And kills himself right there on the deck. And in real life. That guy actually helped many people into the lifeboat. And died as it sank. Because he didn't get into a lifeboat himself. So the family sued. And they had to reissue it here with an apology at the end, saying that that's what really happened. As you're saying it, this is sounding very, very familiar. I think that might have <coughs> happened here as well, though. Uh, I mean, I'll admit I wasn't paying attention to Titanic. That was 1996? 97. 97. That's around about the time where I wouldn't have been pulled into that type of movie without you having to first drug me. I again that was my first year of uni so I went to see that because there were girls that I liked that went to see it I actually remember leaving halfway through to go for a drink in the bar and then coming back for the end it, it occurs to me that I have no room to talk because as I'm thinking about it here I really liked Romeo and Juliet so skipping on skipping that, on that don't examine okay that. well the next one was Shakespeare in Love another one that I didn't mind I didn't enjoy that so much. I might watch that again, but I think I was far too cynical and teenagery in 1998 to really like anything. Also, you have an unjustifiable grudge against Shakespeare. I'm, do you know, I'm weaning off that. I'm, I'm gradually, bit by bit. Yeah. There you go. There's my slow clap for you. It's happening. It's happening. You know. We'll we'll look forward to that. Uh, and then 1999 was American Beauty, which is another awesome film. Definitely. He's uh, directing the next Bond film. You know. Now, is the next Bond film happening? Do you know how much I know it's happening? Can I can I tell you what I did on Friday, last Friday? I know. Do you this know? is why I bring it up. Go ahead. Right. I saw your tweet. I I I saw the sets being built for the next James Bond film. And you were how close to them? I, I was I stood just outside the door, really. <laughs> um, 
there have long been questions here about whether that would go forward, mainly because the, the company is in so much trouble financially. I know nothing of the company or the production or anything like that. All I can tell you is that I was out some air, outside some aircraft hangar-sized rooms with lots of carpenter men building sets, and the sign outside said Bond 23. If you take a picture, we will kill you. So the, oh, not words even to any that working effect. titles. No, nope. just twenty-three. Yep. Hmm. I know nothing of anything else. I don't know what they were building, or anything. There was no, absolutely nothing being shot whatsoever. Uh, I have no information about the film in the slightest, other than I believe it to be actually happening. Well, let's try to dissect this because how much could you see? Was was there any set detail at all? No. Was it? Was it studs at this point? It was. It was barely above empty room level. Okay, so there's there's no little bit of information that you can pick up or glean from the way the sets were constructed, or what size they were, or whether they were supposed to be outdoor sets or indoor well, these sets. These were big sound stages, mm-hmm. but that's 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 it. <sighs> I thought I had a chance to to pick something up to pick your brain. I, I have nothing. I have nothing that could be picked. Nothing whatsoever. I walked past. Because, I mean, this is the thing. As I had probably said on the day, that for me it was amazing and very special. But for the people I was with, it was just where they go to work every day. And things can be amazing and special until you walk past them four times a day for several years. And then it just becomes what you walk past on your way to work. You know? So... I don't know. We just walked past. That was it. It was just what was happening. I have no information or anything that can be taken from that whatsoever. Sorry. I feel bad, well, but... Yeah. Well, you did bring up an, a very important point, which is that the 90s are when I became aware of and started watching James Bond films. I was always aware of James Bond films. Always, always. Because uh, they were always on TV. It's, See, the 80s for me were a string of action films like Big Trouble in Little China and any Chuck Norris movie and a lot of Charles Bronson stuff that ironically my evangelical Christian parents were just fine with me watching. But for some reason, the James Bond movies, probably because of the sexual content, th- those were those were censored in our house. That's not something that you would watch. And in the last couple of decades, my parents have really calmed down about that sort of thing. And my dad would be more than happy at this point to sit down and watch a James Bond film. But that being said, the first James Bond films that I saw were the Pierce Brosnan ones. And then when I went to college in 98, that's when we all sat down and started watching them back to back to back to back to back. Right. No, I'd, I'd always seen them beforehand from being very little. I, I remember seeing them, um, like I say, because they were always on TV. I don't even remember as a kid having an issue with the fact that James Bond was sometimes a different guy. Uh, that never fazed me. And it ne- it was never something I thought about. Uh, the first one I actually saw at the cinema was The Living Daylights, which was 87. But I, I think the 90s would have marked the first time that I chose to go of my own accord and looked forward to it. That sort of, you know, I made I wanted to see the next Bond film. So mm-hmm. I, I went and saw it with friends. Uh, it was the first time, because there was such the, a massive gap. Uh, there'd barely been a Bond, there, there wasn't a Bond film in the 90s until towards the end with Pierce Brosnan. And and so it was just, you know, it was the first time for me that Bond had been a popular culture 
phenomenon rather than something that was just on TV on Sunday afternoons. So do you consider Timothy Dalton to be your Bond, the definitive one? He's my personal favorite Bond. Um, whereas I don't, I can, I don't actually have one that I would say is the best Bond because I think that they're all, it's not Roger Moore, but I don't know which one it would be other than that. I just know it's not Roger Moore and it's not George Lazenby, but Sean Connery is just, you know, incredible. And Pierce Brosnan definitely had his moments. He suffered from being in bad Bond films. Right. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, for me, is the best Bond, but some of the worst movies and some of the best ones, too, because personally, I rank Goldeneye at the top of the entire list, all, all, all 22 of them that are out. Um, but I think this is just more credence toward the, the high school theory or the SNL theory, where the cast that you grew up with or the, the culture that you grew up with is the one that you identify as the best regardless of its objective quality oh yeah i think that's that's absolutely right because i think allison would argue that it's roger moore just i think she has argued that (laughs) on the podcast before yeah Yeah. she has um for that same reason she's absolutely right i understand it it's perfectly valid uh but then again because i was watching james bond films from a younger age uh, because for all their action and violence they're very not gruesome at all um i was watching them when roger moore films were coming out i remember view to a kill coming out i remember getting octopussy on video rental um but for some reason it it was never roger moore for me i don't know i think timothy dalton because he's in my favorite james bond film which is the living daylights i don't know necessarily that it's the best bond film but it's my favorite one now which one is the Living Daylights? Because I do get Dalton's confused. Is that the one where he ends up helping the Taliban? Yes. Okay. Yes. The right. one with the uh, Hercules plane at the end, with the fight hanging off the back and everything. It's brilliant. I love that one. Okay. The it, the one with uh, Miriam Dabo. Yeah. Okay. His second one's not bad either. That's actually very underrated. Watching it back now, it's it's really quite good. I I wish Timothy Dalton had stuck around for a bit longer. He should have. He he was the the proto Pierce Brosnan. He had the same look, and he was just so good. Uh, he's very underrated. I don't know why people here don't give him more um, credit. One of my favorite roles of his was another '90s movies that was huge for me. Did you see The Rocketeer? Oh yeah, absolutely. I love that film. Again, it's, it's the soundtrack is on my phone. Film. <laughs> it's not I a mean, bad film. It's not a bad film. It's just not a very good film. It's it's another one that is one that I like because I grew up with it. But watching it again through adult eyes, it's it's just it doesn't. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Whatever but, uh, happened to that dude? Because he was really good. Billy Campbell. That's it. I'm just looking him up now. God, he's aged a lot. What's he done? He's not done anything I've seen since The Rocketeer. Oh, Eureka! Oh, I remember him in that now. All right, okay. I'll shut up then. Apart from that, he's not done anything I've seen. Very, very low budget television, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, the the revival of Melrose Place. I think that says it all. Yeah, it does a bit, doesn't it? Oh, and a Star Trek The Next Generation. I'll Good God, to... he was on The O.C. A show that I liked and I shouldn't have. Ah, <laughs> uh, The O.C. Yes, never seen it. No, I saw Jim from Neighbors die on it. That was it. 
You won't know him as Jim from Neighbours. What's his name? Um, I need to look up Neighbours now. Neighbours, by the way, is an Australian soap opera that was huge here for about 20 years. I've heard of Neighbours. It's still I, I've going. I've it, heard it talked of. I just have no idea what it's about. Alan Dale, that's his name. Let me pick out what he's been in, because he's been in everything. And he was he was a main character on this show. It says here 869 oh, he was, episodes. He was a grandpa. Yeah. On the OC, Caleb. Yeah. But he's been okay. in, most recently, he's been in shows such as, let's have a look. Well, he was in the movie The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but that's actually not what I'm going for. He was Charles Widmore in Lost. He was in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, yeah, he was. And Torchwood, and Ugly Betty, and 24, and NCIS, and The O.C., and so many other things. He was in Jag, and The West Wing, and The Practice. He was in Star Trek Nemesis. He was in The X-Files three times. The Lone Gunman. That was something to behold. ER. You see, he's just, he left Neighbours after dying of a heart attack and then appeared on everything you've ever seen. It's remarkable. Jim Dale. Now Alan he's, Dale. He's from New Zealand and I never would have guessed it. I would have thought he was an American bred boy through and through. Yeah, I thought he was at least Australian. Playing an Australian on an Australian soap opera for so long. But uh, shows what I know. But yeah, he's been on everything. And so officially here in the UK, he's known as Jim from Neighbours. No one knows he's called Alan Dale. He's Jim from Neighbours. If you say that, everyone knows who you mean. Because everyone watched him on TV for 869 episodes. That was the 90s. And a lot of the 80s. Um, anyway, on this Wikipedia page, there's also the 25 highest grossing films of the decade. Which gives a more complete picture to some of the good stuff. Beyond the Titanic. Titanic. Of course. Well, Titanic, but you've also got... It was the time Star Wars came back, which, until you saw it, was the most exciting thing of your life. It was how I learned about disappointment. Are you, You're not talking about The Phantom Menace. You're talking about the re-release? No, I'm talking about Phantom Menace. Oh, okay. Yes, then I'll agree with you there. But the 90s were also the decade when, uh, when, when the re-releases came out, which was one of the defining minute, moments in my life. How come? I had never seen that uh, that V wedged Star Destroyer fly over the screen and, you know, 80 feet by 80 feet or whatever a screen is. That's true, yeah. We got to see it on the big screen for the first time. I'm not sure if I had before then. I saw Jedi I, at the cinema on its original release. Right. Jedi was, but, I think, the first movie that I ever saw in the cinema. Right. But, yeah, it was okay for that. But, God, The Phantom Menace. And I remember I even waited three weeks to see it for some reason. And then. What a letdown. I was locked in denial for, for probably about two years. Everyone was. Trying to uphold that that was a good movie. Everyone was. And it, I, I remember the first time somebody said to me that they thought it was awful. And I could say that I thought it was awful as well. And it, it was kind of almost like coming out or something like that. It was, well, you all think that. Well, actually, I've been thinking that too, thank God. I remember being very angry when people started poking holes in it because I was I was so defensive about it. I wanted it to be such a good movie, and it just it, it wasn't. And deep down, I knew it, but I wasn't prepared to admit it. Yeah, it certainly wasn't as good as Jurassic Park, which is the next one on the list. Yes. Do, do you know what? I watched Jurassic Park last month. Still awesome. Still awesome. 
and I don't get it why everyone keeps on saying that the dinosaurs, the, the CGI on them is so ropey. It looks terrific. It looks perfect. It's, it still looks awesome, um, even on Blu-ray. The dinosaurs look fantastic. If anything, it's the puppet ones that look a bit ropey, but the, the CGI ones are surprisingly good. Um, Independence Day is the next one. That, again, was huge here for a fortnight until we all started admitting how ru- rubbish it was. I'm a little bit soft on that movie. I'll I'll watch it. As long as no one's taking it seriously. Yeah, you can't take it seriously. We did at the time, though. That was the problem. (laughs) The next one's The Lion King, which is, I don't know, arguably the best Disney animated movie, I would say. Arguably. Certainly at the peak of the the golden age of Disney. I, I stick with Aladdin. Aladdin certainly is awesome. It's you can't fault any of them actually because it's like the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Pop. That's where it started heading way downhill for me because Hunchback, I just couldn't get on board with it. And from there, you have Hercules yeah. and just pretenders to the throne. Yeah, after Hercules and onwards for me, I just thought that was it. And Hercules was actually the last Disney animated classic I have seen to this day. Actually, I've never seen any of the others that followed it. And then at one point they stopped even putting music in. And I really wondered what the point was. You know, uh, The Sixth Sense, massive. Men in Black, Armageddon. They were, Actually, Armageddon wasn't culturally big. N- certainly not like Terminator 2. Armageddon was culturally big here, but... At the same time, universally reviled. Everybody was going to see it, but no one would admit it. Right. It was the beginning of the Ben Affleck backlash over here. Armageddon. Yes. Yeah, that's very true, too. And that song was so overplayed on the radio that Aerosmith suffered and and the movie suffered. I remember nearly singing that on a karaoke night. That That wouldn't have turned out well. That would not have turned out well. That would have been horrible. Um, what else is on this list? Toy Story. Well, actually, Toy Story 2, but Toy Story was in the 90s, wasn't it? We started to get decent computer animated films. Right, right. And you would be surprised, the younger folks that I talked to, how many of them identify that as their their equivalent to the, you know, the Lion King or their equivalent to what for us would have been the the Little Mermaid, you know, um, the, their beginning of their resurgence of Disney. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't surprise me, and it, it kind of was for me, having given up on the anime, the you know the cartoon ones, as well. And they're just so good. They didn't put a foot wrong until Cars Two, really. You know what's grabbed my attention now beyond films? There's one last thing: is video games. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about video games. It's it's hard to draw a line for me between the '80s and '90s when it comes to games. Just throw a couple of names out here at you. Goldeneye? Yeah, that's the route we're going to have to go. I'm, I'm thinking about things that were big to play in college. And Goldeneye was definitely one where it was going in our dorm room pretty much around the clock. And whenever you didn't have class, you just wander in and grab a controller. Same here. Same here. The only time that it wasn't being played was when Mario Kart 64 was being played. Ah, uh, there there was um, a really great game. And 
Mario 64 was also a big one, but the multiplayer wasn't exactly there. Um, the, the other one that the 64 was really, really good for, the WWE games that started coming out around about then. Oh, we didn't have any of those. I think the trouble was, was that the N64 that was around wasn't mine. And so, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of other people's game choice there. The, PlayStation the one in my room wrong, wasn't but... mine either, but there were always two or three guys in the dorm room who were sitting there playing it and you didn't know who they were. You'd walk in and you put your stuff on your bed and you'd be like, um, hi. Yeah. Uh, who are you? <laughs> See, I had that towards the end of uni when I had the Xbox in my room and I would wake up in the morning to friends sat playing quietly, sat at the end of my bed. It, you'd just be woken up by this small vibrating noise, which you'd later figure out was the controller going off. Ah, the play- rumble pack. The, the rumble pack, because they're playing it silently, just playing Halo. Like, morning, Rich. Sorry. <laughs> and carry on playing. Like, get the fuck out of my bed. Just don't walk in here and play Xbox every morning for months. Now, the 64 was definitely big, but did you also have a, a big exposure to the PlayStation? I didn't have... I barely had any exposure to the PlayStation. That's not to say it wasn't big here. Uh, it it was huge here, but I didn't rate it as a system. Still don't. It had a good game selection, but I think graphically it was behind the N64. Uh, and, God, what else was there at the time? Was there the Sega... Dreamcast. It was out for about two weeks before it yeah. was canceled when Sega folded. But yeah, um, I never... surprisingly long shelf life for that. There are people who still have Dreamcast games released. Oh, it was a, a huge phenomenon uh, in a niche kind of way. It, it became a cult classic very quickly. Uh, but I never saw one in someone's terrible, house. The, the controller was terrible. The controller was so non-ergonomic, it was hard to play a lot of games. It had that little sticker Tamagotchi thing in it, didn't it, as it, well? It did, right. But it was just so lumpy and so oddly shaped that getting your fingers, especially up to the bumpers, was really, really difficult. Um, Dreamcast, though, I think the game that stands out the most in my mind is Soul Calibur. That's the one that got the most play on that system. Right. Which just brings up all the fighting games that we had, uh, which is really what the PlayStation was all about. It was Tekken 3 on your constant loop for a while. See, that, that might have been the issue, because really, I've never been into fighting games. So Nor was I in particular, but it's the perfect game if you have 12 guys sitting around eating chips. Yeah. And you can just pass the remote and be like, you know, I got, I got winner. Yeah. I, I, I think that would have happened if my first university experience had been like my second university experience, because that's when that did happen. But it was different things. By then, we'd moved on to PlayStation 2s and Xboxes and that sort of thing, and it wasn't the 90s anymore. Everything was I, shouting. I still, to this day, have not used an Xbox, ever. Really? Either iteration. Okay. Because it, it just... It, it came out in my senior year of college, and by then everyone had already invested in the PS2. So that's what we that's what we had in the dorm. Right. Well, yeah, I've always I've never had a PlayStation. Always had an Xbox, um, and it's so I'm it's not for any particular reason. You're not against the Xbox in any way. You've just never had one. It, or, no, it's just. 
um, for whatever reason, the people that I've run into and the choices that I've made, some good, some bad, <laughs> it's always avoided the Xbox. And really, I mean, I, I am kicking myself in the ass because I had a choice about a year ago to pick up a, a cheap Wii or a cheap Xbox. And I said, hey, the Wii will be something that Lisa would play with me. And the Wii sits dusty and is used mainly only to to route Netflix to the, the HDTV. Yeah. Nobody knew, though. We all thought the Wii would be a really good idea. Well, the Wii is a really good idea. The problem is a, a lack of adult titles. Yeah. I mean, if, if my daughter were two or three years older and were starting to play video games, the Wii would be something that would be perfect for us. I suppose so. God, that would be different. I remember playing computer games with my dad, and we'd you'd sort of he'd use one end of the keyboard as his controls, and I'd use the other end of the keyboard. That sort of thing. Is Super Street Fighter Two on the the computer? Did you ever do that? No, I've never done that on the computer. Mind you, that That's would be sort of, of Amiga times. See, the nineties ah. were all Amiga for me. Yeah, that was the thing. Because my dad would have argued. That you know you can use the Amiga for other things. You can put a word processor on and put a printer in it, <laughs> and you're away. And so there was. Nope. It's not like there was a shortage of games for it, and because piracy was as rife as it was. When I say we had every Amiga game, I'm not joking. I, I'm talking literally thousands of floppy disks in boxes stacked up in a room of the house, driving my mother insane. But yeah, we had every Amiga game. It was incredible. Yeah. We were doing that a lot too. Our our first computer was a 286, uh, just a cheap little CGI or CGA monitor. You know, it couldn't handle very much. But at the time, my family couldn't afford anything really, and even that computer was used. So we uh, we did the pass around with friends thing too. That was before anyone had even stopped to think about whether um, sharing computer software was anything that was questionable. Oh, yeah, it just happened, because you didn't need anything special to do it. You could just copy a disk. Right. And th there was no DRM or anything like that or nothing to stop you. You just copied the disk. Just like, I remember at the time it was just like sharing a book. Yeah, and uh, everybody had everything. There was no sort of, oh, have you not got this yet? Because everyone had it. Right. Everyone had it, and no one had the official bought version of anything. It was remarkable. Just crazy. We used to you'd swap them in the playground. All the Amiga games. Can't imagine doing that now with Xbox games. Can't imagine it. But that would be dragged off to jail. Yeah. <laughs> you really would be. That would be so horrible. Uh, but that was that was my nineties in gaming. I suppose PC towards the end, but the PC gaming for me always had that issue of we never had good enough hardware to play the latest games as well as you wanted to play them. And so the PC gaming just meant frustration for me. See, we haven't even really scratched the surface of my gaming experience in the 90s because it was so very much PC. Uh, I, I, I never was big into the game systems until I graduated from college. Um, and all the, the stuff that I've been talking about that we were playing in college, that was all roommate stuff that was brought in. So... Um, but yeah, a lot of it was PC, but Rich, have you looked at the, the time clock there? The I have actually, I ignored it cause I was having fun there. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, what the hell? But we should stop, I suppose. What are we up to? God, an hour and a quarter. 
That's well, I think that year. this is a subject we can return to and mine again and again and again. And Absolutely. Again. I've got, I'm looking at the list of toys and games here and that's, that's a whole show. In fact, most things on this Wikipedia page, maybe not the architecture section, but uh, most of the other things. God, we did well though, I think, for an overview of an entire decade. Without even touching on French cuffs. Yeah. Because <laughs> let me tell you, the 90s was a time where I changed hairstyles frequently and looked ridiculous in lots of different fashions. Me too. Yeah, there was a lot of hair, hair, hair gel used in my house in the 90s. A lot of and, hair gel. Uh, I, I'm not afraid to admit it. Hair dryer. Yep. Yep. Actually, I'm not sure I ever went as bad as the hair dryer, but I should have done because I had the hair for it. Big, long hair. I'll find some photos out and put them on my Facebook page for the sake of amusing everybody else. That would be great. <laughs> Look forward to that, people. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose we should wrap up the show. If you want to email us uh, or anything about what we've talked about tonight, you're most welcome to. The email address is remastered at simplysyndicated.com or you can pop into the forums at simplysyndicated.com or even leave a comment on the post of this episode. That's one way of doing it as well. Speaking of which, please, please go and click the Facebook share button, the Twitter share button for this episode. Go and tell somebody that you've listened to this. That helps us out better than donating money. That said, if you want to donate money, donate money. Don't let me stop you doing that. In fact, please do that as well. Give me all your money and recommend us on Facebook and Twitter or whatever social networking site you want to use. Um, did I get everything? I think you did. Listen to Jason on Atomic Trivia War 9000, which you'll also find on simplysyndicated.com. Oh, yeah, I forgot for a second that that's a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. You do that. <laughs> I, I was having so much fun with Remastered, I totally forgot about trivia. We should plug that thing. I also do Tech It or Leave It live every Sunday at 4, although I think we're doing it at 4.30 this Sunday. Watch my Twitter at TechSupportRich, and I'll tell you all about what's happening. I also do a blog at TechSupportRich.com, which is all tech stuff you might figure it's ever so good that is everything i think well i've had a good time rich i I've think that's a, a perfect place to end it yeah i've had a good time too so thank you for listening everybody and all you guys in the live chat room both of you Aaron, <laughs> there have Kip. been some in and out there, yeah. there have been quite a few are we going to record this at uh, 7 or 8 p.m eastern standard time because we just had daylight savings time change i'm happy to do whichever you prefer Shall we, uh, shall we keep on doing it at midnight GMT? That's 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Okay, yeah. There we go. So if you guys want to hang out with us, listen live, be in the chat. I usually watch the chat while we're, uh, while we're hanging out here and talking. So there's a good chance you could be mentioned on the show. Just uh, go to simplysyndicated.com, click on the radio button, and follow the instructions on how to get into the chat room. It's not brain surgery. It's not. It's pretty it's, easy. It's really easy. And you can listen live, yeah. It's the way to do it. There's also an iPhone app where you can listen live and join in the chat room. But we like having you with us and we like getting instant feedback, especially if it's things that you're saying like, wow, Jason, you're awesome. Yeah. I like that. That's good. You should go on and say that. Oh, like I said, you can do that from the iPhone app, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm always down with people st stroking my e -peen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>